Oh, sorry, sorry. I was mute there for a second. Um, welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. <laughs> We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I was supposed to say Flicks of the Week, but my bad. All right, I was so caught up in my stupid joke that I, I fucking ruined the intro. It's it's going to be fucked up when I have to truncate the silence, and and it's going to go away. Truncate the silence. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's not bad. Come on. You know, give me the Depeche mode for that one. Come on. No. All right. So, uh, yeah, my flick of the week. Sorry. Welcome to Flicks of the Week. Mine is going to be the Netflix original film Mute, starring Alexander Skarsgård. And you will use? Uses? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You're still here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go. It's over. All right. Uh, I, I, fuck, I, I can't argue with that at all. Uh, you, you know what? Okay. Sure. Fuck the... Star Wars theme alone jump scene in the fucking Corvette is the best part. And that w- no, it wasn't a Cor- it was Ferrari. My bad. Um, do you like that correction? You don't give a shit. All right. So, and then we got some news to talk about. Uh, Spielberg news, a uh, couple of deaths, Credibles trailer, some It Chapter 2 news, and that's fucking it, man. Oh, and then a Hotel Artemis trailer as well. We'll talk about that. All right. Hotel Artemis? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll check it out. Yeah. You'll check it, check it out, Joe. All that and more with these flicks of the week. Take it away. Do we do take it away on this one? Um. Yeah, we do because we, we do the same kind of type of intro. So, yeah, we do the take it away. Do we? Yeah. And you're not taking it away right now. No, I'm not. Yeah. You're barely talking. It's like you're almost mute. Almost. Or is that just dumb? Oh, I don't even know. Take it away, Ferris. <laughs> okay. All right, so anyway, here we go. Jeffrey. I should, I should have said Jeffrey Jones. Take it away, Jeffrey. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is it wrong to, to still be a fan of him in that movie and, and know what kind of person he is in real life? Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll it's, talk about that later. Okay. All right. Save that for Compelled. Save that for the solo album. All right. In a Berlin of the future, a mute bartender's search for his missing lady love takes him deeper and deeper into the city's criminal underbelly. A mute bartender's search. I know. That's why I pronunciated it as... You said a mute bartender. What did I say? I just told you. I said a mute bartender. That's right. Yeah. It's a mute bartender's. Yeah, I said that. A mute bartender's. No, you said a mute bartender, and you said it twice now. (laughs) I think you're fucking me, my friend. Don't purposely You've literally said it twice. And don't purposely cut out the S. You literally said you it twice, this. and I can go back and play it. I don't want you to, man. I don't. So, okay. Anyway. Dork. I give you the trailer for Mute. Yeah, the trailer's not supposed to be muted. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what it is to make your dreams come true, Leo? I've seen you working downstairs. You're a good man. This barman should not punch the fucking customers. I don't deserve you, Leo. I love you so much, but you don't know me. I want to know what the deal is with this crazy bartender. Sure you want our help with this? This kind of thing hurts my reputation. Daddy's gotta go. Oh, no soda. Your girlfriend has secrets. You lost me. Take a hint and fuck off. 
Not very talkative. <laughs> Something's going on. You need to maintain a sense of humor, babe. You gonna give me some uh, trouble, big boy? Or are you gonna channel that famous Amish serenity? <laughs> gonna stop right now. It ain't a secret anymore. Would you do anything for her? Say you're sorry. Fucking say it! Why the hell can't he talk? He doesn't need words. Just thinking about this when I was watching the trailer for this movie. Um, I did see it a few days ago um, before we got into it, but... Uh, the characters played by Justin Thoreau and um, Paul Rudd, uh, Duck and uh, Cactus Bill. I didn't realize it until seeing the trailer now, but the, their characters are—they're definitely flawed characters. I don't want to give away too much about them, um, you know, because the movie like reveals things about them throughout it. But you, once you've seen this movie and I'm looking back, I could tell that their characters are flawed, probably because of what happened to them when they served in war together years before this, this film is set, um, which has molded them into like, you know, a lot of times you see war, war related, um, characters who were best friends in the war. And then now they're in the, you know, in the present day or whatever. And there's this bond that has grown between them, right? Because of what they've been through. Um, but normally you see them like having issues, but they're working through them. They're trying, you know, they're you know using each other to work through their problems that, that happened to them, all the trauma and shit. Well, this is like, their two characters are like the opposite of that. Like, what if war fucked them up so badly that there's these other psychoses that are starting to show now because of it, and they're, they're, they feed off of each other in, in, in different ways. Like this one, one of the characters does something creepy this way, the other one does something violent the other way but they're both products of what they've been through together. That's what I'm trying to get at. That was too long and too deep for you. <laughs> but anyway, they're interesting characters. I don't think they did, they're, they're delved into as deeply as they should have been with those two. And they kind of reminded me of Hawkeye and um, who was it? Was it Trapper or who was it that was his buddy in MASH? The two in the tent? Uh, uh, Pierce and Hawkeye? Or yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're they're very there were those two characters according to Duncan Jones were molded from those those two from Mash, in a way to be similar, kind of like the evil psychotic version of it. Um, so when it comes to this movie, I can totally see what the critics are saying about it that it's just too dull and lifeless, even though it looks pretty good for the most part. <laughs> Trailer looks really good. I know it like almost looks like a, an homage to you know Blade Runner, right? Um, the original Blade Runner. But yeah, dude, this movie has a 15% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I, I get it. I mean, that's pretty fucking low. I don't think it... It doesn't deserve, uh, like, rating-wise, it doesn't deserve that low. The movie's definitely watchable from start to finish, and to see Paul Rudd try something different than just being the comic relief guy, it's interesting to see him. I, I don't know if he's he can pull it off very well being a, a really bad guy at times, but it, it, like I said, it's worth seeing. The problem is, is that with this movie... Even though I, it's trying to push this this feeling of the two main characters, Leo and um, and his you know his girlfriend, um, what's her name, Nadira, um, she's only in like the first like half hour of the movie, and then she disappears, and then he's trying to find her for the whole movie. But um, 
it seemed like their relationship was like this forbidden, you know, love amongst all this ugliness, right? And it just, you know, like everything else in this movie is ugly except like, you know, the visual specter of everything. But otherwise, it still feels like this, you know, this oversaturated world of over, you know, commercial marketing and all that other crap, right? And um, and so, the you know, I could see that. I could see that, you know, that's how it was supposed to show how important their love was because of what she does on the side that you wonder about what she does. And, and like, him being this mute character who he's like this because... Um, 30 years, the movie starts 30 years prior where he's a little kid and he lives, he's part of an Amish community and (laughs) they're in the States in Pennsylvania, I believe. And, um, he gets injured by a motorboat propeller. It chops up the front of his throat and he loses his voice because of it. And his mother being so, you know, faithfully Amish, she does not want the doctor to fix his voice box. She says, you know, it's God's will kind of, you know, the faith over you know, faith over science kind of thing, right? So um, it, then it cuts to 30 years later, and now he's got these huge scars on his neck, and he's, he can't talk at all. He can't even make a single sound come out of his mouth um, that, you know, voice-related, you know. Um, and so and he has this weird thing where every time he drinks a glass of water, he holds his breath, and he always drinks the glass of water from a stein, you know, those big-ass mugs. And... So he'll take in a deep ass breath and then he'll down the whole entire stein of water before he, um, you know, exhales and then breathe, starts breathing normally. Which it, there's a, a a payoff to that at the end of the film that finally it makes sense. You know, like okay, I get it because at first I thought he just has a fear of water kind of thing. But anyway, his character, yeah, he's interesting. It's interesting to see Alexander Skarsgård play a character where he doesn't talk because you you always remember him playing characters that love to talk, love to hear themselves talk. And he's a very good actor in that regard. Um, well, I guess he didn't talk much in Tarzan. Oh, wait, Tarzan did talk a lot in that fucking movie, so suck it. Anyway, at this movie, he's very good at just showing his emotions with just his facial expressions, his eyes, his mouth, everything. Really effective. Um, but that's, but the, the problem is, even though that looks good and most of the visual effects look really good in the production design, um, except for... There's these robot strippers. For some reason, some people are into fucking robot strippers, and you know, sex robots that look like straight up robots with a bunch of holes all over them, and <laughs> for you know, multi-purposing. And but the CG on them when they're moving around looks fucking horrible. But other than that, um, everything else looks pretty damn good. I, I the, from what I recall. So, but those are the good things about the movie. The bad thing is, is that what's pretty much the critics are saying is that there's no one to care about in this movie really. You know, like Leo's character, you feel for him, but also at the same time, you don't feel for him because he's letting, you know, his religious faith, you know, get in the way of him being happier, you know, because, you know, talking and stuff like that. He, oh, I forgot about this fact. He stays away from technology as much as possible, even though it's all over around him. He doesn't use a phone. He doesn't watch TV. He stays away from all that shit. And so... You know, it's it's a weird contrast to him being with his girlfriend, who's very very worldly, right? So, um, but shit happens, and so when she goes, dis- you know, gets disappeared, he starts fucking knocking down every door, kind of thing, to find her. And then there's twists and turns that get you know, the duck and cactus bill characters involved, and there's there's this conven- you know coincidence that they're all connected in this way that, you know, it was a little too coincidental for multiple characters to be connected fully the way it is. Um, the movie's got like a like a vanishing type feel to it. If you've ever seen The Vanishing with Kiefer Sutherland and um been a long time. 
Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland and um, I almost said Larry Flint. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, where he has this weird accent, um, which is also a remake of another foreign film. So, uh, But, yeah, it, this is, um, yeah, and the whole movie's set in Berlin, like a futuristic Berlin in 2035. And, yeah, it's just you don't really get to delve into any of the the mythology with all that stuff, you know, because it's just a lot of just him chasing, find, trying to find her. The pro- And like I said, the problem is, is that everyone, almost everyone character in this movie is just mean or soulless in a way, you know, like they're just cold and extremely selfish. And, and you know, like I said, I, I understand that that could be used in like contrast, like I said, so, so it can show the love, how strong the love is between the two main characters, but... I, I it's not enough, dude. It it really isn't. It really because it, you know by the time the film ends and you have the, I I don't. It could be predictable to you. But it was kind of predictable to me. You have the predictable ending, and then there's a little bit of a payoff, but there's not a full payoff. And so, do you really give a shit by the time it's over? I did a little bit, but not too much. Like I said, I don't. I it's hard to empathize with a character who. I have every you have everything in front of you, and you still choose to keep this faith thing. I, I that's a difficult thing for me to believe in now. So, yeah, that's tough. Anyway, um, I, I do think the movie's worth seeing, though. So I think you should check it out. And uh, I mean, dude, it's done by Duncan Jones, who I forgot about that 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 he's David Bowie's kid, and he and the movie's dedicated to uh, to David Bowie and um, and I'm sorry, David Jones and um, and his uh, nanny also. Um, Duncan's damn nanny, um, which her name was, uh, her name was, God damn it. I know her name. It was somewhere. Oh yeah. Marion Skeen. So it was dedicated to both of them. And there was someone wrote in uh, one of the blogs that the, the Bowie knife that, um, Paul Rudd uses throughout the film is an also a little subtle homage to, you know, his dad, you know, Bowie. So I don't know if that's true or not intentional. I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't give a shit. But anyway, it's just cool to know about Duncan Jones. I mean, look, he's got four movies under his belt now. He's got Source Code, which is an entertaining film to watch, and it's very interesting with a weird with weird ending. And, um, you know, Moon. Oh, there's a cool thing about this movie that's connected to the film Moon with Sam Rockwell from 2009. Um, his character shows up for a quick um, cameo scene in this movie as a, as a, as a new, on a newsreel. And it's just cool what they do with it. So it's kind of like you understand, like uh, it's like a if you ever had a follow up question about what happened to 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 Rockwell's character from Moon, there you go, you get an answer, in a way. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then uh, shit, what else did he do? Yeah, Source Code, Moon, and he did Warcraft. So um, this one is his is his, is his fourth movie. And look, he, I don't know if he's a great director yet, but he shows a lot of fucking promise that he can he he can be up there, like. I could see Duncan Jones being someone who would would have been asked to do one of the Star Wars films. You know what I mean, or um, or something you know high up like that. You know, like where they want to try out you know a, a good but new director. So I think that's all I got, dude. You better take this one away from me before I just keep rambling on forever, though. <laughs> mute. I'll try to stay mute while you're while you're doing all that. Ferris Bueller has an uncanny skill at cutting classes and getting away with it. Intending to make one last duck out before graduation, Ferris calls in sick, borrows a Ferrari, and embarks on a one-day journey through the streets of Chicago. On Ferris's trail is high school principal Rooney, determined to catch him in the act. Make yourself worse. 
Maybe you're right, Dad. I know I'm right, Val. How'd you get to be so sweet? <clears throat> they bought it. Well, why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? I'm taking the day off. Now get dressed and come on over. Barris, my father loves his car more than life itself. A man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile. What are we going to do? The question isn't what are we going to do, the question is what aren't we going to do. He does whatever he wants. You know, as long as I've known him, everything works for him. Whatever he wants. He's very cool. And he never gets nailed. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. If we played by the rules right now, we'd be in gym. <laughs> what is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Hi, I'm Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. That's me. I can see him denying popular beliefs, setting off on some impossible mission. I did not achieve this position in life by having some snot-nosed punk leave my cheese out in the wind. You want to get married? Central Park in fall. You mean if I wasn't a fool? Sure. Today, when he looks back on the ruin his life's become, he is going to remember Edward Rooney. Hey, Dougie. It's dead, Cameron. You killed the car. My best friend has flipped out. I got you, Paris. I think this calls for something bold. I finally got you. Something wet. Oh, he's such a sweetie. They all adore him. Love you, pal. Something wild. <laughs> struggle to take it easy. You know, there are some 80s trailers I actually do miss. That's one of them. <laughs> I watched, before we get into Ferris Bueller, yeah. I watched Joe Carnahan's Stretch again last night. Yeah. Was it last night? The night before. Uh-huh. I'll tell you one thing. That movie is addicting. Second viewing is still good. Yeah. And okay. so I, I I just had it on stars for whatever reason. So. Stars. There was there was a whole bunch of fucking movies that were on, and I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to watch them. Yeah. And <clears throat> just kept showing one movie after another to mm-hmm. keep the day going by. And I'm like, I saw the stretch. I'm like, uh-huh. that's familiar. So I let it play, and I'm like, oh, it's this one. All right. So, you know, and it's got um, um, Chris Pine. And I can never remember his name, but I want to say Patrick Wilson. Yeah, but not, yeah, I was gonna say not Chris Pratt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just remember, he played Night Owl Number Two. Yeah, he was in he was in Fargo. Yeah. Oh, that's um, right. Okay. And I, I, you know what? This that movie is so goddamn good. Yeah. Uh, Joe Carnahan makes really really good movies, and it's unfortunate that you know. 
he's not making Bad Boys 3. Uh, anyways, uh, I just wanted to point out, it has nothing to do with Ferris Bueller, but I was I happened to be watching Ferris Bueller and then You know Stretch what? That's in. one of those movies that doesn't get in, anywhere near the attention it should have. And, you know, each year that goes by is more and more people forgetting about it. And I even, you know, so it's good you bring it up because I think that's a movie that's worth, you know, people uh, paying attention to. Just like how word of mouth made Boondock Saints popular, you know? Yeah, th- this is better than Boondock Saints, I think. Much better. Damn. But, I mean, you know what, though? Boondock Saints, I think, is a movie that grows on you with multiple viewings, even though the first one's good. Right. But, see, if it weren't for Chris Pine's character... yeah. The stretch wouldn't be a good movie. You know, you have kind of a predictable ending and yada, yada, yada. But, again... Chris Pine has fun with his shit. It's, yeah. yeah, it's the entire... It's it's not it's you know you have the Jovi you have the Jovi's brother who is a guy that was in NCIS and I can never remember his name and then every time he said something it was always in Russian in Cyrillic the subtitle yeah uh, you know hey buddy so <laughs> every time he says that all I can think of is you saying that shit hey buddy hey buddy buddy you know and, and it was always the <laughs> same thing every time like when he would fucking jump on the limo hey buddy yeah you know uh, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good movie, but I, you know what? I, I this is one of those movies I don't have on Blu-ray that I'd like to have. So, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, mm. <laughs> the part where go. What's let the, me let me let me do my review. Shut the fuck up and let me do my review for I, five I, minutes. I was laughing about something from the trailer. Um, <laughs> you were mentioning Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. No, no, you're allowed to shut up for five minutes. Oh, oh, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. Um, Jeffrey Jones has been in several movies that I like, like, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, Mom and Dad Save the World. (laughs) Like, he's in that movie, and he's funny in that fucking movie, Uh and he's great in this. Howard the Duck. Yeah, he's great in Howard the Duck. Absolutely. I still have that on my DVR, by the way. Shitty movie, but he's really good in it. Yeah. And you have... so, Sleepy Hollow. He's also in that. As with everything that he's in, he does a great job. Yeah. The problem is, is that <laughs> he's a fucking kid toucher. You know. Yeah. 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 <sighs> or he's at least, at the very least, a kid toucher enthusiast. So. Damn, this movie stars the, Matthew. Just, <laughs> it no, no, just no. killed the conversation. Yeah. So it's directed by John Hughes. It stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris, Alan Ruck as Cameron, Mia Sarah as Sloan, and Jeffrey Jones as uh, Principal Rooney. Now, when the, the, the most the, the most famous scene in this whole movie is Ben Stein <laughs> doing the Bueller thing. Fry. Yeah. Uh, Fry something do d o o economics, um, the whole movie in and of itself is just classic. Oh, it's John Hughes <laughs> at the fucking top of his game, dude. Like I said John Hughes was the Steven Spielberg of comedy in the eighties. Yeah, he absolutely is. Was um, I don't even know where to begin with this other than <laughs> what could you not begin with? Holy shit! John Hughes started writing the film in '85. He kept track of his progress in a spiral-bound logbook. He noted that the basic storyline was developed in February, and it was pitched on February 26th uh, to Paramount Studios chief Ted. No, I'm sorry, Ned Tannen. Tannen was intrigued by the concept, but wary that the Writers Guild was hours away from picketing. Hughes wrote the screenplay in less than a week. He had that ability to write movies like oh, literally over a weekend. 
Uh, Paul Hirsch explained that Hughes had a translate concentration to a script writing process, working for hours on end. Uh, then he would shoot the film on essentially what was the first draft. The first cut of Ferris Bueller's Day Off ended up at two hours and 45 minutes. Damn. Uh, the shortening <laughs> of the script had to come in the cutting room. Having the story episodic and taking place in one day meant the characters were wearing the same clothes. I suspect that Hughes writes his scripts with few, if any, costume changes so that he can have that kind of freedom. Every time you move the microphone, yeah, yeah, it sorry. shows up and people hear it. Are you telling me that there's the possibility, it ain't going to ever happen, but there could have been the possibility of there being a two-hour and 45-minute cut of Ferris fucking What did I just show? say that? What did I just read? Yeah. Hughes intended the movie to be more focused on characters rather than plot. Mm-hmm. I know how it begins. I know how it ends. I don't ever know the rest, but that doesn't seem to matter. It's not the events that are important. It's the characters going through them. Therefore, I make them as full and real as I can. This time around, I wanted to create a character who could handle everyone and everything. Um, he said he had Broderick in mind when he wrote the screenplay. Uh, he was the only actor he, who could, he could think of who could pull off that role. Um, certain guys could, would have played Ferris and you would have thought, where's my wallet? I had to have that look, that charm that came through. Stewart could have played Ferris at 15 and needed Matthew. Other characters who were considered for the role were Jim Carrey, John Cusack, Tom Cruise, and Michael J. Fox. Sarah surprised Hughes when she auditioned for the role of Sloan Peterson. Um, he didn't know how old I was and said he wanted an o- older girl to play 17-year-old. He said it would, it would take someone older to give her the kind of dignity she needed. He almost fell out of his chair when I told him I was 18. Uh, Molly Ringwald also wanted to play Sloan, but according to Ringwald, John wouldn't let me do it. He said that the part wasn't big enough for me. Uh, Alan Ruck had previously auditioned for the Bender role in Breakfast Club, which went to Judd Nelson. Um, Hughes remembered Ruck and cast him as Cameron. According to Hughes, the character of Cameron was largely based on a friend of his in high school. He was sort of a lost person. His family neglected him, so he took that as license to really pamper himself when he was legitimately sick. He actually felt good because it was difficult and tiring to have to invent diseases, but when he actually had something, he was relaxed. Uh, Rex said the role of Cameron had originally been offered to Emilio Estevez, who had turned it down. So every time I see Emilio, I want to kiss him. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Ruck was 29 years old, at, well, you know, and he was worried about the age difference. <laughs> I was worried that I'd be 10 years out of step and I wouldn't know anything about what was cool or hip, all that junk. But when I was going to high school... I didn't know any of the other stuff either, so I just thought, well, hell, I'll just be me. Uh, the character was such a loner that he really wouldn't give a damn about that stuff anyways. He'd feel guilty that he didn't know, but that's about it. Uh, Ruck was not surprised to find himself cast young. No, because really when I was 18, I sort of looked 12. Maybe it's a genetic imbalance. Can it, can it, can it? Can it. Ruck and Broderick had been in uh, the Broadway production of Biloxi Blues. Cameron's Mr. Peterson voice was an in-joke imitation of their former director, Gene Sachs. Uh, Ruck felt that at ease working with Broderick, often uh, crashing in his trailer, we didn't have to invent an instant friendship like you often have to do in a movie. We were friends. Uh, Jones was cast as Rooney based on his role in Amadeus. Hey. He was fucking great. Before you read more, personally, I don't know about the audience, but I know personally, I want to hear your love for this movie instead I'll, of this. I'll get, through, I'll get to it. Okay. Just relax. All right. Give him some background. I didn't want to go into a regular movie review. I wanted to talk about some of the background stuff. Um, Rooney uh, said, uh, "My, par- or, I'm sorry, uh, Jeffrey Jones said, my part was actually quite small in the script, but what seemed to be Im- uh, the Im- important part to me was that I was the only one who wasn't swept along by Ferris. So I was the only one op- in opposition, which presented a lot of opportunities, some of which weren't even in the script or expanded on. Uh, John was receptive to anything I had to offer, and indeed 
uh, got ideas along the way himself. So that was fun working with him. Um, you're going to be known for this for the rest of your life, uh, Hughes said to uh, Jones. And I thought, sure, but he was right. To help Jones study for the part, Hughes took him to meet his old vice principal. This is the guy I want you to pay close attention to, Jones explained to Hughes biographer Kirk Honeycutt. While meeting him, the VP's coat momentarily flew open, revealing a holster and a gun attached to the man's belt. This made Jones realize what Hughes had invented. This guy was, sign up for the Army quick before I kill you. <laughs> uh, Stein says he got the role of Bueller's economics teacher through six degrees of separation. Uh, Nixon introduced me to a man named Bill Sapphire, who was a New York Times columnist. If you don't know who Bill Sapphire is, uh, look him up. He's um, fucking really smart. Uh, he introduced me to a guy who's an executive at Warner Brothers. He introduced me to a guy who's a casting director, who then introduced me to John Hughes. Hughes and I are among the only Republicans in the picture business, and Hughes put me into the movie. Stein said, uh, Hughes said that Stein was an easy choice and an early choice for the role. He wasn't a professional actor. He had a flat voice. He looked like a teacher. Um, and they filmed in Chicago. A lot of Ferris is sort of my love, a love, a, a love letter to the city. Um, and the more people who get upset with the fact that I film there, the more I'll make sure that's exactly where I film. Nobody ever says anything to Woody Allen about always filming in New York. America has this great reverence for New York. I look at it as this decaying horror pit. So uh, let the people in Chicago enjoy Ferris Bueller. Apparently he's not talking about Chicago now. Yeah, Hughes got the chance to make a more expansive look at the city he grew up in. We took a helicopter up the river. Uh, this is the first chance I'd really had to get outside while uh, making a movie. Up to this point, the pictures have been pretty small. I really wanted to capture what Chicago was as much as I could, not just the architecture and landscape, but the spirit. Um, they began shooting in September, and late October, the production moved to L.A., and shooting ended on November 22nd. The Von Steuben Day parade scene was filmed on September 28th. Scenes were filmed at several locations in downtown Chicago and Winnetka. <coughs> <coughs> Winnetka is in so SoCal. Uh, um, um, many of the other, well, it's also in Chicago, I think, um, Winneka, Illinois. Um, many of the other schools were filmed in Northbrook. I'm sorry, scenes. <laughs> got school in the head. Glenbrook North High School on School Drive. The long curvy street on which Glenbrook North and neighboring Maple Middle School are situated. The exterior of Ferris's house is in Long Beach, California. Uh, the modernist house of Cameron Fry is located in Highland Park, known as the Ben Rose House. It was designed by architects A. James Speyer, who designed the main building in 1954, and David Hade, who designed the pavilion in 74. Uh, it was owned by photographer Ben Rose, who had a car collection in the pavilion. In the film, Cameron's father is portrayed as owning a Ferrari 250 GT California. According to Lake Forest College art professor Franz Schultz, during the filming of the scene where Fer the Ferrari crashes out of the window, uh, Hade explained to Hughes that he could prevent the car from damaging the rest of the pavilion. Hade fixed connections in the wall, and the building remained intact. Hade said to Hughes afterwards, you owe me 25 grand, which Hughes paid. Other locations and scenes were shot. Chicago, River Forest, Oak Park, Northbrook, Highland Park, Glencoe, Winnetka, Lake Forest, and Long Beach, California. After Ben Rose's death, the house was offered for sale and was sold in 2014. Um, the scene at the Art Institute of Chicago was a self-indulgent scene. Um... He used to go there quite a bit, and he knew all the paintings, so he wanted to put that in the movie. Um, the music used for the final version of the museum sequence is an instrument cover version of the Smiths' Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want, performed by the Dream Academy. Hughes makes multiple references to, uh, to the Beatles and John Lennon in the script. 
He was listening to the White Album every day for for 56 days. Also pays tribute to his childhood hero, Gordie Howe, with Cameron's jersey. And I sent them I sent them the jersey set, Howe. It was nice seeing the number nine on the big screen. Um, as far as the Ferrari, the, um, it's, it's an original. It's actual original Ferrari GT California 250 edition. Uh, they were used, the cars were used in the wide shots were obviously reproductions. There were only 100 of these cars, so it was too expensive to destroy. We had a number of replicas made. They were pretty good, but for the tight shots, I needed a real one. So we bought one in or brought one into the stage and shot the inserts with it. So, um, I don't want to get into those. That's not that big of a deal. What I do want to, oh, there were several scenes cut from the film. One last scene entitled the Isle of Langerhans has the three teenagers trying to order in, in the French restaurant, shocked to discover pancreas on the menu, although in the finished film, Ferris still says we ate pancreas. This is featured on the Bueller, Bueller edition DVD. Other scenes were never made available on any DVD version. These included additional screen time with Jeannie in a locker room, Ferris's young brother and sister, both of whom were completely removed from the film, and additional alternate lines of dialogue throughout the film, all of which can be seen in the original theatrical trailer, which we played. Uh, Hughes also wanted to do a film where Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron would go to a strip club. Paramount executives told him there were only so many shooting days left, so that scene was scrapped. Um, the songs in the film include Love Missile, F-111 by Sig Sig Sputnik, Genie, Beat City, um, well, the theme from I Dream of Genie, Beat City, The Flower Pot Man, the main title, John Williams, Star Wars, Please, mm. Please, Please, Let Me Get What I Want, The Celebrated Minuet by Luigi uh Butcherini, Butcherini, sorry, Butcherini. Donka Shane, Twist and Shout, Radio People, I'm Afraid, Taking the Day Off, The Edge of Forever, March of the Swivel Heads, Oh Yeah, Bad, and Go Down Moses. As it is, I'm boring, Joe. No, <laughs> it's, it, what, what, what you're doing is, and is that everything that you're reading about, I have something I wanted to say about it, and now because you moved on to another thing and another thing and another thing, it's like gone forever, and I feel like I'm trying to recapture my fucking brain, and I can't remember what it was I was going to say about it. Have you ever watched the Ferris Bueller TV series? Yes, I the the one thing that's I, I the one thing I do remember was the end of an episode where he starts making out with his sister, and then all of a sudden he like pulls her face off, and it's really his girlfriend, and he's like, ah, "I fooled you guys," and I always remember how creepy that seemed at that moment. That's the only fucking part of that entire thing I remember. That whole entire TV series was fucking garbage. It, I was a kid, so it was hard to be judgmental on it, I, 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 or to see the quality at the time. Yeah, the quality was garbage. Um, I was also watching, I think, Parker Lewis Can't Lose at the time. I was going to say, Parker Lewis Can't Lose came out, and then Ferris Bueller came out, and then they tried to, yeah, to do the right, whole yeah. Parker Lewis thing, Yeah, and it just didn't work. And, of course, Charlie Slatter, he, he's okay, but, you know, he's... He's not. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, it had Jennifer Aniston and it had uh, Amy Dolan's in it. Yeah. Okay. So you were asking about my favorite parts of the movie and why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Everything that has Jeffrey Jones in it. <laughs> yeah, you can't when, deny it. Yeah, you can't. When he comes upon the girl, which I thought it was appropriate in this day and age, that he says, "I have your ass is mine." Yeah. And she turns around and spits coke at him, uh-huh. and then he walks over to <laughs> to wipe his face off, and he goes, "Hey, who's playing? You know, uh, well, what's the score of the Cubs? Zero zero. Who's winning? The Bears." <laughs> yeah. And then he does that wind up thing, and then throws. The, I do that. 
I, I copy him every time I try when I throw something uh-huh. away. Yeah. If you see me wind up and throw something yeah. away, that's because fucking that's from Ferris Bueller. That's from Rooney. Yeah. Okay. And I do it on purpose because he does that stupid. I, he has that stupid face where he, he winds it up. He has. This yeah. Yeah, I've got a. Bu- <laughs> I, I can't like name them right now, but I have a bunch of like stupid little like quotes I have and from t- you know from either songs, movies, or television shows from my childhood that I, I use. At certain times, they right. just and they, they instinctively come up before anything else. So I, I get it, I, I do. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Jones, while you're talking about while we're talking about him in the trailer where he sticks his head through the doggy door, yeah, I could totally see that being turned into some fucking meme about him being a pedophile. Yeah, totally see it. And I, so I started laughing when they showed it in the trailer because that's the first thing that popped into my head. And th- there's this. Okay, so I was thinking about this uh, last night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just, this is so stupid. <laughs> so, as Rooney is looking into one of the windows, he's on the side of the house, and he slips, and his foot gets caught in the muck. Yes, and you just wonder how all that fucking mud got there. So, you know, he he, he takes his foot out, and he's <laughs> washing his shoe off. You know, and he, then he sticks the 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 um, the hose. Uh-huh. Right down back into the mud yeah. and just lets it go. Now, if you think about it, when he did that, it's probably kind of mid morning, yeah, ten, eleven o'clock. When, when when fucking Ferris gets home at six o'clock at night, uh-huh. that thing has been running for a good six, seven hours of water. That's a plot hole. Yeah, well, it's not a plot hole. It's just funny as shit. <laughs> continuity now, issue, maybe? No, no, no continuity issue. You know, like say if they show the basement, it just was filling up. <laughs> There's no co- there's no issue. There's no plot hole or continuity. There's nothing there. Just, all, right, all right, I got you. It's yep. just funny. Thing. When they get their fucking water bill, it's going to be. Sky. That's all I could think of. Is there of all the things I could think of? Yeah, that was the one. I was like, yeah, you know, it was like instant type of thing. I'm like their water bill is just going to go yeah. through the roof. <laughs> yeah, I'd be pissed. So, um, yeah, everything with with Jeffrey Jones in it, where um, there is there's there is a, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, she did a. She does voices too. Um, yeah, she played. I always remember her before anything else as Mrs. Poole from the Hogan from Hogan Family. Yes, but yeah, she's she was in uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know, you're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> she did a lot of eighties. Oh, but she does. Um, yeah, I think she does. Doesn't she do the uh, the fat teacher, the big pufferfish teacher for SpongeBob? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, they don't have the cast list here. But that doesn't mean I can't. I just can never. I can't remember her goddamn name. I know. Yeah, I I know her goddamn name. I just can't off the top of my head. Like if you just gave me one part of her name, I would I would guess the rest of it. It's like Catherine. Is it, is it, uh, Edie McClurk. Fuck. That's I, it. I, I, Edie. I, almost, I almost said Edie McClurk too, and then right when I saw it, I was like, God damn it. Edie McClurk, Catherine. Yeah. Either way. Oh oh oh! <laughs> she's trying to pretend that she's Rooney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grace. So um. Dude, th- yeah, this movie is. Uh, there's one scene that I wait for. I mean, look, this movie's full of. Gra- I love all the getting yeah, Alan she Rock, Muscle Man's mom. You know, getting getting Cameron out of the house. The, the that part's all great. You know, let my camera go and all, all that. It's great. But the scene I always wait for the most is when because I totally forget that the car got stolen by the valets right in the, at the parking garage, and then and then it just out of nowhere it just cuts from Ferris and everybody having fun. Or doing that existential fucking art looking at stuff, right? Right. 
and it cuts to these two fucking idiots from the parking garage with the, uh, with the, with the Star Wars theme playing. <laughs> what country do you think this is? And they're fucking <laughs> flying, yeah. Sir, I'm a professional, <laughs> right? And they fucking, just the Star Wars theme fucking playing while they're flying around in this fucking... That's the one scene that you wait for. That is, well, like I said, this movie's full of great scenes, but the one scene that, that brings me fucking pure joy every time I watch it is that scene when they're flying over the hill and you see them in slow motion just smiling their asses off. I just love that scene. Richard Edson, who did, he was he was the the uh, lot attendant. Yeah. He's been in a fuck, fuck oh, yeah. ton of movies. Oh, yeah. <coughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's, the, I mean, look, like I said, I love the whole entire movie from start to finish. But that is a scene that always brings me major joy when I watch it. You know, because at the time, when I first saw that scene, Star Wars was still only a few years new to me. Because, you know, I was born in 77. So I wasn't even watching Star Wars till I was at least four. So... So, yeah, or at least remember it from, you know, four. So um, to hear that theme in another movie and then just fucking, yeah, it was fucking cool. That's right. He played Richie in Howard the Duck. Um, When Howard is fighting Bev's manager. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, the whole movie is great. But if it weren't for, like, if anybody else had played the principal, yeah. I don't think they would have played it as good as Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> like if Robert Vaughn played him or something? Anybody. It doesn't matter who it was. I, I, know, I threw him in there on purpose because it would have been boring. And th- there is there is kind of a continuity issue um, when he's walking around the house and he has no shoe on, mm-hmm. and then his car gets towed, he has a shoe on. Oh. So that there is one continuity thing. Well, I mean, the movie's two hours, originally two hours and 45 minutes, so imagine all the shit that got cut out. Well, yeah, but he the, the dog had his shoe at that point. Yeah. So, and then and then the only only time that they say fuck in the movie is when he has the flowers, and and he's, he's like, you know, here, Poochie Poochie, fucker, you know, <laughs> and he gives the the flowers to the dog so he can get a shoe. Yeah. You know, it's again, it's like a video game. You have to do this to get this so you can go in there. And then he finally gets into the house, you know, when Jeannie comes home, and then she <laughs> kicks him in the fucking face. Yeah. You know, I have my dad's gun and a scorching case of herpes. And then, yeah, I love the fact that no matter all, what all the shit that they've been through, she still is there for her brother over this fucking guy. Well, that's because he dropped his wallet in the house. Yeah. That would be the only reason. What I'm saying, though, is she's still like, you know, you don't fuck with my brother. I'll fuck with my brother. Well, again, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Like, if if Rooney had been at the house yeah. when Ferris gets home and and he hadn't tried to break into the house, then it would have been a whole different story. But since she had, like, his wallet and he was he broke into the house, yeah. that's... That's the kicker. It has nothing to do. That has nothing to do with brother sister love. That has everything to do with the fact that she's getting back at this guy for breaking into her house and sh- and, and silencing him. Okay. So it, it's not it's not brother sister love. He's standing there and he's like, "Don't fucking do this," and she's like, "I have all the power, so I can I can do I, what I want." I, I guess I I take it as you know like if anyone's gonna fucking catch my brother in the act, it's gonna be me. It ain't gonna be no one else. Fuck you, Rooney. No, because she she purposely called her mom to say that Ferris wasn't. She she did things to say that Ferris wasn't home, I, I, or that he wasn't sick. She she told her mother. She told her father. She told everybody. Yeah, you know she she told she told the entire world that Ferris is not sick. Yeah, 
She wanted to catch him in the act, get him in trouble, not let the fucking principal catch her, catch him. I, no. Okay, whatever. No, I, she, she that that she didn't care about that until until he broke into their house. Like if he had never broken into their house and he had showed up at the front door yeah, while she, he was walking there, she wouldn't have saved his ass. Yeah, she still would have. You know, I. No, she, she, she wouldn't. Would, have. Yeah, she would have been ready to catch him. She I would have. Know. She would have totally ratted him out. Yeah. So yeah, and so Jeffrey Jones like got in the way. So she's like, "Fuck it, I'm going to show you." What? Like, I if anyone's going to get my brother, it'll be me, not you. No. So right now she she'd rather. That she has no. That's wrong. It's that that's wrong. That's that's that's. Fine, Mike. If Fine. he were fucking there without breaking into the house, she would have ratted him out. That yeah. was what she was been. That's what she was trying to do the entire movie. Yeah. She went to his office to rat him out. Yeah. And he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Then she goes home, and then he breaks into their house and mm-hmm. leaves their wallet evidence. Now she has all the power. Now she can pr- pretty much just fucking write her own ticket. You broke into my house, so when Ferris shows up. She's not gonna. She's not gonna rat him out to him because she. That guy's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. The principal is. So why why would she do that? And then she, he got away with it anyways because yeah. she didn't rat him out to her her parents. Yeah. Because it was at that point she's just like, I have his fucking wallet. Yeah. You know. So she doesn't. She doesn't give a shit in the world about anything else that's going on. Everything went her way. Everything's gonna go her way, in 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 a sense. <coughs> so. Ferris, in and of itself, the whole movie works because you have you have Jeannie who is a big asshole, and you have Ferris who's just you know Ferris, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, ask for a car, get a computer. But I, I love what he's playing the the piano and it's doing the whooping cough, you know, mm-hmm. you know, or every time he every time someone asks him, well, put someone else on the phone. I like the how snoring. you feeling. I like the snoring. Yeah. I think I was- it's like almost like flies buzzing. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know how he has the the door rig with the uh, the dummy. Yeah, and it turns and this and that. Um, yeah, yeah. The trophy weight is the counterweight thing. And okay, so my question is: is whose house did they break into to sit in the spa? Um, I don't know. No idea. Was that Cameron's house or was that? Well, it couldn't have been at Ferris's house because that was when Rooney was looking for him. Right. So, I mean, is it possible that it was uh, the girlfriend's house? I think it was. I think it was the girlfriend's house. Well, then she would have put on a bathing suit. Well, I don't know. Maybe she just didn't want to think. Or, or look, it was either at her house or, or they, yeah, it was just some strange, random stranger or, or some stranger that you don't know about that, that they, they, you know. Or a fr- another friend's house. Yeah. Because it wasn't Cameron's house. I don't know, because you only saw the top part of, you know, and, and inside of Cameron's house. You didn't see, like... That was in the backyard. That's not Cameron's house. Cameron's house didn't have a backyard. They had a driveway, and it was situated on a on a ravine. It's like a nouveau house. Yeah, I I know. Side, cliffside kind of weird, or like hillside kind of thing. And I don't even know. Whose house was it that Ferris Bueller jumped in the spa pool? I don't know, because I I, 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 I I don't know. When they went swimming... Yeah, fine. I guess that's Sloan's house. How do they know that's Sloan's house? So that's how they do it in their family. <laughs> I guess that's apparent. Well, the pad shows up twice in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It first appears in the scene in which Ferris Bueller and Sloan attempt to snap Cameron out of a stupor by taking him swimming. 
Um, in the John Hughes DVD commentary of the movie, he says of the pool scene, we never identified where this was or whose house this was. I always presumed it was just someone else's house. It wasn't really Sloan's house. It certainly wasn't Matthew's house, and it wasn't Cameron's house. They just sort of stopped and used somebody's jacuzzi. Yeah, okay. I was surprised to learn this bit of info. I've always been under the assumption that the pool scene was supposed to have taken place at Sloan's residence. Yeah, either I don't remember if I if I even thought about it, if they were at Sloan's or if they were at a random place. I, I don't recall. Yeah. So now you know. Yeah, just so you know. <laughs> Had she been at her own house, she would have worn a bathing suit and changed within the confines of her bedroom. Which you said. Right. Um, you can also see that the trio's clothes are scattered about near the pool, blah, blah, blah. Pepsi and Oreo cookies. Ugh, I can never drink soda and drink any chocolate cookies at the same time. Or eat cookies in the same same time. Right. Just didn't it just killed the taste of the soda. All the sugar in the cookies. Right. Made the soda taste bland. So all right. And then the rear of Sloan's house. Anyways, so the I am not a stalker website is actually pretty good for uh, going to when you when you want photographs and stuff yeah. like that of movie houses and yeah. some explanations. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool. So we cleared that up. We know whose house it is. Yeah. And uh, all that's being said, hey, look, you know, um, this movie gets it's like an eighty-one percent um, on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a, I think it's a better movie than this that. This is a classic must-see for anyone who likes um, movies and likes comedies. Yeah. Seven out of seven point eight out of ten on IMDb. Like if it, if there was anyone that was like watching now and they they would see like you know pictures of or video of of Matthew Broderick walking the red carpet with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker or anything like that and they're like well why is he such a big fucking deal who the fuck is he well this movie shows why Matthew Broderick still has clout to this day is because of Ferris Bueller amongst a few other things but right. Ferris Bueller's got to be at the top of that list if not not right below the top of the list you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, he was in he was in a bunch of good movies. Oh yeah, Project X was good at for its time. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> God damn, what else was he in? I know he well he was in um, the Graduate, or not the Graduate, um, the Freshman that had Marlon Brando kind of like like you know reprise his role as the Godfather in a way. You know, he was in War Games. He was in Lady Hawk, Biloxi Blues. I love Biloxi Blues. I had Christopher Walken in it. Torch Song Trilogy. I mean, come on. Family business, glory. That wasn't he, he was okay in glory. Lying. He's got Disney money. He's got yeah. Money. He's got Simba money. <laughs> uh, cable guy. He's the worm guy and the in the um the gyno. <laughs> the producers. Yeah, election. He was uh, yeah. I mean, dude, he, he did the you know voice in um, the B movie. He was in Trainwreck. Um, yeah, dude, he's done a lot of voice work and a lot of characters he's played, man. And uh, he's played he's played um like like kind of against character type shit too like weird quiet type characters uh-huh. like in Manchester by the Sea <laughs> played um, this Christian type character that you know it was he was yeah he was weird so yeah um, he has he has quite a good uh, repertoire <laughs> history yeah and really I mean oh yeah he was in war games too yeah I said that so anyways that's all I got I, you know um, I yeah. This is as close to as perfect movie as you can get. Yeah. I'm sure there are some problems with it, but this is better than 81%. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like, there's, like, little, like, little subtlety, little things that people will do in a film, and it always sticks with you every time you watch it, so. No. Okay, fine. One of the things that sticks with me from this movie is when Charlie Sheen is with um, Jennifer Grey in that scene at the police station, 
And she goes, I want you to, st- why don't you just stick your thumb up your butt? And then all of a sudden he looks at his thumb and, you know, he pops it up. Every time, it just it makes me do the same thing. It just stands out to me. So, and I, I don't know if that was, if that was on the fly or if that was also a Hughesism. I don't fucking know, but bravo. You know, love this movie. Why don't you blow yourself? And he looks down. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, this is, um, this is a, this is a classic movie and it needs to be watched. Absolutely. Goddamn movie. So. All right, so let's uh, rush through this news for them, if we can quickly. <laughs> um, so you uh, showed me uh, earlier today about uh, Spielberg uh, potentially directing Black Hawk. Yeah, and you had mentioned that Time Warner is going to fuck it up. So I'm going to put this right here on on tape, which yeah. is it's Spielberg, and <laughs> nobody tells Spielberg what to do, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And if they don't like it, he'll walk from the fucking oh, yeah. movie. Oh yeah. Because I just, if DC tries to say anything, you know that that division, I, yeah. I, and it's it's not going to be based on the new Fifty Two. I can guarantee you that because Spielberg has a long time love of of the older like World War Two stuff. Yeah. You know, like I do. You know, Indiana Jones, nineteen forty one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, uh, war movies, any war movie, um, yeah. War Horse, and Lincoln, and. And these historical type uh, yeah. movies, I'm I, I'm missing Bridge of Spies. That's uh-huh. the one I was thinking of. And Black Hawk is about it's it's like if you've ever seen Cap, you know, um, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. I almost mentioned that to you. Like this is like a, it could be a better version. Eh, of kind that. of. It, it have you ever have you ever read Black Hawk comic? No, comic? I, I, okay. I just did a quick read about what what it was about when I when I talked to you. Yeah, it's it's similar, but it's it's. I would say if they're going to do it, they're going to do it very similar to Sky Captain. Yeah, and it'll be standalone probably. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would assume so, but, you know, it's, it's, it's Spielberg. Um, they, they honestly, they, they really stopped publishing that comic back in 1984. Okay. Um, although it does, he does make a debut in the new 52. Yeah. There is no Black Hawk comic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I looked at the Wikipedia. <coughs> the character still exists, but they stopped. They stopped um, publishing the comic in '84. Yeah, and they got uh, David Kep uh, writing it. He does a lot of Spielberg stuff. Yeah, David Kep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Kep. Uh, hell, he's done uh, screenplay for Jurassic Park, Mordecai, <laughs> My fucking Mansard. Uh, Inferno, not a very good movie. I've heard. Um, first Spider Man with Sam Raimi. He's done Indiana Jones. Yeah, David Kep's done a shitload of stuff, dude. I don't. Know, you haven't heard the name David Kep. I mean, you. Someone tells me David Kep. I might have forgotten what he's done, but I know that he's a well-known name. That uh, that's all. You know what I mean? It's like someone could say, "Oh, Mike Tyson's one of the, you know great boxer," but I wonder how many people know that Mike Tyson's a great boxer, but also don't even know who he fought. You know what I mean? There are people out there. I'm guarantee you. They're like, I, I, I didn't know he fought Evander Holyfield. <laughs> you know, I didn't know he fought Michael Spinks, knocked him out in like nine, like 19 seconds or some shit. Hey, you know what I mean? There's just people that just know that he's that. That's it. So, all right, save me before I fucking go off into mega tangents. <laughs> Fuck you. All right. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, it, I could totally see Spielberg walking away from this because he's already got a couple of projects before this anyway. You know, he's doing Indiana Jones 5, and he's doing the um, the West Side uh, Story remake. 
or update or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Okay. So he, there's, you know, there's going to be plenty of time before he goes on to that, you know, goes on to Blackhawk. And if, you know, DC and Warner Brothers better shut the fuck up and just let the man do what he does, you know, if they want to hit on their hands. Um, let's see. A few people died, man. Holy shit, dude. Arlie Ermey died at 74, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, I mean, dude, dude was old. So, I mean, whatever. But it's still a cool fucking dude. Uh, Milos Foreman, director, died at 86, you know, did shit like uh, Cuckoo's Nest and Men on the Moon and Larry Flint, The People vs. Larry Flint and Amadeus. So, um, done some, you know, memorable shit. Uh, and then uh, Harry Anderson died in the last few days, dude, you know? Yeah, that was surprising, but we haven't heard from Harry Anderson in a long time anyways. Yeah, and what I read about him was the reason why is because he, he said he has so much money that now he just does what he wants to do. He has a house, and he had a house in Charlottesville, North Carolina, and he liked to do card tricks and shit like that. That's what he loved to do. So he just went and did what he wanted to instead of just acting over and over again like he didn't want to. Yep. So good for him. You know what I mean? Good that he didn't feel like he had to stay stuck in that shit. So, um, but it's weird that that he just died, and then this news comes out about it, Chapter Two, and that besides Jessica Chastain being signed on to play Beverly, an older Beverly, or adult Beverly Marsh, right? Right. Um, but now James McAvoy is in talks to play Stuttering Bill, you know, grown up, and um, Bill Hader. Holy shit! Bill Hader is also in talks to play Richie Tozier. Adult Richard Tozier. And I think that's perfect casting right there because he looks a lot like a grown uh, Finn Wolfhart. So um, if they can get a hold of those guys, I, I, that's, I, I think, uh, you know, casting-wise, It Chapter 2 looks very interesting. <laughs> but let's see. You know what I mean? Let's see if they can, you know, keep it going. Because, you know, what? it's weird. There's some people that didn't like it, the first It movie from last year. Well, they, they're idiots. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to have to agree with you, man. So uh, and then what else we got? Uh, oh, there is a major reason that Mike and I will not be seeing um, Ocean's 8 this summer, and it's not because it's an all-female cast. That doesn't matter at all. Aquafina. It's because of fucking Aquafina, this um, fucking rapper who decides that her stage nickname is going to be a an awkward way because it's spelled like aqua, like 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 the, the beginning of the word awkward, and... You know, so she can't be sued. Kind of like how Eminem changed the wording so that they couldn't just call him Eminem, you know, because even though his initials are M-M. So, you know what I mean. So, anyway, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, dude, but if you're going to put a fucking rapper in your... Look, you already got Rihanna in it. Now you're going to put a fucking rapper in there who's named, you know, like a fucking ball of water. I, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm fucking out. That's the reason why you don't want to go see the movie that is because the, of Aquafina. Yep. I was joking. I'm not joking. Okay, well, that's a pretty shitty reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I mean? It, it reminds me of when, um, when that movie Epic came out back in like 2013, that animated film, and they put like Pitbull and a bunch of other fucking rappers in there and, and, and stuff as voices instead of using professional voice actors who know what the fuck they're doing. Just, it, I, it just throw, I don't like it. I, look, I'm, 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 mo- I'm kind of joking, but if, if her name were Neil, or, 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 Nella, Nella. Nella O'Brien. Would that change your mind? <laughs> well, I don't know. As long as her name isn't like fucking, I don't know. That's not what I asked. Fiji. I don't know. If her name were Nella O'Brien or Catherine St. Jude. Or if she went by her actual real name. In or the whatever. Life. Is that going to change your mind about not seeing this movie? Other than the fact that it's just an Ocean's, another Ocean's 8, an Ocean's 11 or Ocean's 10 movie? Well, 
that's the reason why I don't want to see it, even though I love Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock and, and even Sarah Paulson's really good. Um, it's just I wanted to use the Aquafina thing as a scapegoat, but you're kind of shitting on it right now. I'm shitting on it because you didn't use it in the right way. With your cons. You lo- you're conning my pros or proving my cons. or You know what I mean. Or conning my cons. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's the fact that it doesn't look like anything special. Than, you know, because all the other fucking uh, um, Oceans movies weren't that good. You know? Each movie got progressively worse and more outrageous, right? Yeah. Like, fart. Like, I'm outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. The Cleveland show. Yeah. By the time you get to the third movie, I don't give a shit. And I, I'm, I'm not giving a shit by the fucking this one. By the eighth one. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't intrigue me. Yeah. So but the name Aquafina that is a fucking horrible name. Yeah, and, and now she's in another movie too and I can't remember what this other movie is. Well, I don't know. I don't I don't even want to know. I, I don't you know what I mean? I don't even give a shit. And it looks good too. I mean, well, whatever. Yeah, I what can you do? I you know what I mean? It's either you got to fucking accept it or or you know or don't watch it. Well, you, you do what Dwayne the Rock Johnson did. Drop the rock. Yeah. Everybody knows him as The Rock, but start using your real name because nobody gives a shit about your fake made-up name after a fucking, you know, plastic water bottle <laughs> made by Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So, um, and then uh, a few trailers popped up, dude. I, I don't know if you want to play any of them. If you don't, that's fine. I'd say just play the one you haven't seen. But um, the new Incredibles 2 trailer came up, which, you know what? I, I When the first teaser trailers came up, I, I it didn't, like, grab me at all. But this newest one... The Starts fact, off with the mole man. Yeah, and yeah, and it's doing a role reversal thing where now Mr. Incredible has to take care of the kids and stuff, and now now his wife, Elastigirl, is she's out there fucking now she's doing the Mr. Incredible sneaky thing, right? right? You know, the Tuesday night fucking bowling, right? And so um and then of course it ends with with Frozone's fucking wife giving him shit again, which I love that. I need my suit ASAP. And you need to get back here ASAP yeah, too. Yeah, and like yeah, and then sequels like look the rule of sequels is more and more and more, right? Well if you're gonna give me more and more and more, give me more Frozone and his wife. Yes. Okay, please. please. And you don't even need to show her. She could just be like Howard's mom from fucking uh Big Bang. Big Bang, yeah. She could just Howard. keep talking shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I, oh god, I, there could be subtle adult humor in there. I, I, I know it. With her yelling at him, messes with his freezing. <laughs> I'm shooting fire, damn it! <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, and then uh, what else? There was um, Hotel Artemis. That that was the other one. That was the other trailer I saw. Um, for that one just popped, I think yesterday, because they had like a teaser trailer for the trailer, kind of bullshit. So this one is set in an insane asylum that is. Uh, At mattress firm, we think of our. I think no. that is run by Jodie Foster. Uh, this is only a fifteen second clip. I want the trailer. But up, up, up. Pool two is all about family. <laughs> True story. My whole life I've been waiting for someone to save me. He needs you. Move or die. I ain't letting Cable get to him, even if I have to teabag him to death. <laughs> Let's save this little pork chop. Fight for what's right. Sometimes you have to fight dirty. Tell me they got that in slow motion. Aw, they fight before they become friends. Let's get our fuck on. Hello. How can I help? 
fellas. Everybody's gonna get fixed up. Now verify your memberships, and we're off to the races. The Artemis is a secret hospital for criminals. I thought you were done with all this. I got out, but you know how it goes. You're never out. Not up here. I thought this place was a myth. We've been here for 22 years. This hospital was built on two things. Trust. The rules. You see that badge? That means I'm a healthcare professional. <laughs> You're an arms dealer, right? Don't push my buttons. Don't you do that. I'm a professional, but this woman, she's the business. If you knew what she could do to you with just that cup of coffee. You're lucky this place has rules. The audience isn't safe for us. Because it is. It's a portable vault. Worth about 18 million. Wolf King's probably gonna want those back. Okay, this is a real problem. He's here. Open the gate. That's against the rules. The rules? Without the rule breakers, honey, where would you be? You got like a plan. You're my brother. I love you. 3D printing complete. I got the next best thing. I got a gun. I guess my ballroom days are over, baby. Showtime. There's a war zone up here. Am I gonna make it out of here? We can do it together. This is what I do. Visiting hours are never. <laughs> Busy night at the Artemis. You know, you might want to buy some scented candles or something, because it smells like somebody died in here. They did. Drew Pierce. Yeah, who uh, he wrote Iron Man 3, which has have its moments. Yeah, well, his brother is, um, what's his name? Kai Pierce? Yeah. yeah. And then he also wrote um, Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation, yeah. which wasn't bad. So... Um, yeah, dude, that movie, it looks really interesting. I mean, dude, look at the cast, you know, Jodie Foster, Charlie Day, Sophia Boutella, Jeff Goldblum, Sterling K. Brown plays the main character. And Sterling K. Brown, you've seen him in other things. You just can't, he's one of those guys you don't know his name, right? Um, Zachary Quinto and Dave Batista. Oh, and Jenny Slate is in there, which I just saw her on a few episodes of uh, Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, it looks like, uh, the, what is it, the Continental? Is that the name of the hotel in the John Wick movies? That's exactly what I was thinking. Is yeah. this is this is the this is an idea that was taken from the John Wick movies. Yeah, and like, hey, we're going to yeah, we're going to make a little twist and yeah. then go from there. Which is funny because I heard that they're going to do a spinoff TV series from John Wick called The Continental. So let's see if these fuckers snuck in on it first. But uh, with this cast, dude, it looks really interesting. Well, the difference between the Continental and this one, obviously, is one's a hotel. Yeah. and one is. One is a um, surgical. Uh, thank yeah. you, uh, hospital. Yeah, and it's like it almost looks like it's going insane in there too at the same time. So um, yeah, it, it looks interesting. It's coming out on uh, June eighth, I believe. Yeah, it looks good. So I don't know what we got coming out that week, but hopefully, if there's just shit that week, we'll go see Hotel Artemis instead. Well, it's probably limited edition, limited release. All right. So uh, yeah, I I know we didn't say much about Harry Anderson, but you know, fuck it. I, there he is. We did. You know what? Actually, what we I we said more about Harry Anderson than we did about Arlie Ermy. I love this character Harry on, on the Night Court, of course. But I will say this: he was a he was a good Richie Tozier in in it, the television movie from 1990. He was really good at that, especially because of all the inhibitions of being on network television <laughs> with that film. But um, Harry Anderson was one of those guys that I you know it would have been cool to see him in more things, and 
but he didn't want to. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, he, um, like, when he when it was first reported that he died, like, they reported it as he died in someone's house and they didn't know, you know, like, yeah. like he just randomly was at somebody's house and died. Yeah. And then, like, and then the reports started coming in and then it took, like, hours before someone said, yeah, yeah he died at home. Yeah, and the first thing they say is no foul play. Yeah, so he's um eight, he on the eighty one eighty five uh, season of Saturday Night Live. He did eight episodes. Then he did Cheers. Um, and Cheers is what got him noticed to do. That's when he got off for Night Court because of Cheers. Yeah, and then he did almost ten years, one hundred ninety three episodes of Night Court. Um, let's see, Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, I'm just Tales from the Crypt. It Parker Lewis can't lose. Um, which we just talked about, the John Larroquette show. And then Dave's World, which I did not know until reading about him today, that Dave's World was about Dave Barry. Yeah. I did not know that because I never watched Dave's, Dave's World, so. Yeah. Um, I forgot that he did Dave's World. He did 98 episodes of Dave's World, yeah, which four, you don't even know is on. Four seasons, yeah. Uh, he did 30 Rock. I mean, oh, see, that's why. Because it never hit 100. The rule for syndication is if it's something hits 100 episodes or more, that's when it goes into syndication. Not necessarily. I just around Mike. That that's that's it's not the rule, it's it's the um it's um standard. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um but no, I mean because there there are Well, yeah, cuz you have all those network shows. Like I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, cable like premium shows now that then only do like 12 or 13 episodes a season. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you know, unless those go on forever, dude, they're not going to get to 100. Yeah, well, Sopranos well, didn't even get to 100. Yeah, but they don't. You see the Sopranos in syndication once in a great, great while. It's just on Bravo range. Yeah, and, but we're talking like, like when The Walking Dead, when, when that's fine and done. Yeah, like basically after next season, season, yeah. we're we're talking like 96 episodes. Yeah, The Walking Dead, I think, just hit their hundredth episode because they do 16 episodes a season now. So. They've been doing sixteen episodes a season since season three, so yeah, it. Um, so what season are they on? Uh, they just finished season eight. So for five seasons, that's. Well, no, for six of those seasons, six of those seasons. So the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, those fi- those ones all did sixteen episodes. First ep- season was six. Second okay, well, ep- second season that's was 72. 72 and eighteen. Yeah, is ninety. Well, they, I know, but they just hit their 100th episode, um, I think, when the show came back from the mid-season break. That's when it hit 100. So, uh, Anyway. Cause they, Are they, they on season 9 or season 8? Season 8 just ended. So season 9 will be next year. So I, I just did the math, uh-huh. which is 16 times 5, uh-huh. or 16 times 6 is 72. Am I not, that's 92. I'm sorry, 92. Yeah. I did the math wrong. 16 times 6 would be 96. Right. So and, and then another uh, and then you add thirteen plus six would be nineteen. 19. It's a hundred so, yeah eighteen. So yeah, thirteen plus ninety. Or, I'm sorry, nineteen plus ninety six would be um one hundred fifteen, hundred fourteen. So one hundred fourteen. Right. Or no, it would be one hundred fifteen. Sorry, because it'd be one layout. So yeah, so sometime this season is um so the beginning of the season. So like the second episode then is when it they hit their hundredth episode. Right. But I knew that they hit their 100th, 100th episode this season. So they're guaranteed syndication. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. If it goes into syndication. Plus, they got the walking, fear of the walking dead. It doesn't matter. Truth be told. Yeah. I, I don't care. There, it's weird, man, because it's like there's this fucked up balance of being good here and there and then doing something fucking stupid. Like the ninja zombie episode was fucking retarded. 
The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, dude, no one's going to hear zombies falling down the fucking stairs while everyone's sleeping on the floor downstairs. Get the fuck out of here. And all that other dumb shit. Uh, you know, these things are constantly moaning and growling and shit. And no one who, all these people that are trained to hear this shit for years now, all of a sudden they're going to sleep through it. Fuck you. But yeah, it was like a gimmicky thing that they did um, a few episodes ago. But, but like the final episode of the season wasn't bad. And there's a bunch of episodes that aren't bad. They're good. Just that they fuck it up with, with doing certain things to characters. And there are like, like, fuck it. It's just imbalanced. That's the biggest thing I can say. It's fucking balanced. So. Whatever. I don't even know if the show can recover. Don't care. Yeah, I care because, you know, I started off loving this shit for the first five seasons, dude. I fucking loved it. I, you know, but damn. Usually I, I can ride my favorite show all the way till the end, man, but not this time. This time, fucking, I switched, man. Now it's, I think it's pretty much Game of Thrones, dude. So, all right. Well, there you go. All right. So I don't think there's any more news that's worth uh, talking about. Is there, is there anything else you want to mention? Nope. All right, so then shall we say adieu? I do. All right, so flick of the week, Joe Spiegel. Mike. Bye. Bye.